Hey, we are uh, official now. We have a podcast. Woo! So <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, very exciting. So if, uh, you know, we're starting this uh, series, just Kingdom Basics, uh, in the basics of the Kingdom of God. And um, we're actually going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we kind of had an intro to the Sermon on the Mount last week. So if you're unable to um, be here or attend or if you're sick or whatever, you just want to share what the mission is talking about, you guys can go to that and then, um, and then catch up or share or whatever, whatever lays, you know, God lays on your heart. But the bottom line is, um, you can, you can stay with us now through the week, even if you're unable to attend. So, uh, some good stuff, but I, I'm really excited about what we're talking about. Um, and, and I get excited easily, but I'm really excited about this, okay? So, um, I, yeah, my mom couldn't give me a Coca-Cola when I was a kid. She, I was, I was that kid that they, nope, you can't have a Coca-Cola. But mom, no, I don't want to peel you off the walls. Um, so, but, you know, what we started was the idea of the kingdom and, and, and the basics of the kingdom. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount, if you really want to, if, if you really want to see what it means to be in God's kingdom or to be in His house, to be a sister or a brother or a son or a daughter in the house of God, we can see that by, by the Sermon on the Mount. It's such a great sermon. In fact, it's Jesus' only sermon. But there's things in the sermon that I think we need to look at if we're really going to understand the difference between God's kingdom and, and mankind's kingdom. Because if we're honest, and really all you got to do is flip on the 6 o'clock news, there's another kingdom going on besides God's kingdom. You know, I, I mean, dropping my kids off at school, I'm, I'm cognizant of that. I mean, just knowing that they're going into something else and learning something else, and as laws are coming out and as different things are happening, I realize that this is not necessarily... God's kingdom, or the way he would run his kingdom, or how, how people are treated in his house. Does that make sense? And so very much so, I love the Sermon on the Mount, but it challenges the heck out of me. And, and it should challenge the heck out of us as we look at it. Because there's some things in here that are super important. And, and first of all, if you're taking notes, um, I, I want to point this out really quick. Because the core of Christianity, and what it means to be a disciple of Christ... It, it, it is to live for his kingdom and not our own smaller kingdoms. You see, basically, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus saying, this is what it is to be a follower of me. This is what it is to be a kingdom-minded person. Quote-unquote, a red-letter Christian. Some of you have those old Bibles, you know, and, and, and when you, you're flipping through the New Testament, I don't know, maybe you were like me as a kid, and you go, man, that must be really important because it's in red. Right? But that's just Jesus talking. And, 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 but it's, it's that important, right? Because the word Christian means follower of Christ. And so if we're a follower of Christ, we need to know what he said. And we need to live as he showed us. Does that make sense? First and foremost, though, I want to talk about something that I think is, is, is kind of screwed up today. And this is, this, maybe you've been there, maybe you've seen this, and, and first of all, as a, uh, minister, I have to sometimes apologize because this is this is something that I, I've seen a lot. But um, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need protection. God doesn't need to be protected. You see, Jesus didn't come to this earth to call a bunch of bodyguards. You, you get what I'm saying? He he didn't come down and do what he did and live as he did and die on a cross so that we could gather around and huddle together in a room and protect him. That's not what he called us to do. Matthew 28, go. 
and make disciples. Right? John 13, I mean, in 14 and 15, he talks about the Holy Spirit and giving us the Holy Spirit to go out and do as he did. And he didn't protect necessarily God. He didn't get up there and say, oh, I got to fight for my father here because he needs protection. No, instead, we are to portray Christ. Not protect him, portray him. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. At work, at school. And and let me just tell you, the the temptation is to protect, isn't it? Because you hear about all this crazy stuff going on, and you want to step up, and you want to argue, and you want to debate, and you want to fight, and we want to pick up our little Bibles and hit people over the head and say, I baptize you, right? With the truth, right? I mean, isn't that the truth sometimes? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a debater. I love to debate. I love to... Uh, my, one of my fortes is apologetics and philosophy, and I love it. Um, when I was at Azusa Pacific University, they were saying, oh, you should go into philosophy and you should do philosophy, because I love, like, the ideas and, and, and just understanding that and the arguments behind the validity and the truth of Christ and the kingdom and how it all makes sense. I love that. But I've never argued anybody into the kingdom of God. Can I say that? I never have. And you know what? And, and, and I've seen relationships. I've seen people. And I've never seen where they nag somebody or yell somebody or argue somebody into the kingdom of God. But what I have seen is them portraying Jesus so that people go, that's what he looks like. I want that. That's what the love of Christ is. I want that. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? And to me, that just makes sense. And so I'm freeing you. Hopefully you feel this. The, 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 the Sermon on the Mount frees us from knowing the right arguments. Having everything set in a row. And it's just living the life. Portraying Jesus. Being the love of the kingdom. And the patience of the kingdom. Do, do you get what I'm saying? And I think that's beautiful. Because... We have a lot of work to do, people. There's a lot of people out there that call us hypocrites, and rightly so. Because we act a lot like hypocrites. Because we say one thing as we try to protect, and we do another as we don't portray Christ. Amen? So let's portray it. And this is what we are to be thankful for. And can I just say that? We are to be thankful for this. Thanksgiving's coming, right? And some of you are getting together in a, in a room, and just like my family, now my family was a Swedish family, so we'd also have smorgasbord, if anybody's ever had the unfortunate thing of having smorgasbord. Um, I say that only because there's some things I really love, but there's a lot of things in the Swedish cuisine that are like, why? Why would you eat that? <laughs> and and I, I'm looking at Susanna because she's Swedish. <laughs> and, and, and so is David, proc, you know, yeah, half now, by proxy, right? Um... Because he looks very Swedish, doesn't he? Oh, so much so. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's great. But, but I'll tell you, like, we would get together and I remember just being there with my grandma and grandpa and, my, and all my family. And we, there was that time of the year and we would sit around eventually after everyone was gorged themselves on too much food and ready to sleep, right? And, and we would sit and we'd say what we were thankful for. And, and I don't know about you guys, but some years are tougher than others to say that what you're thankful for. Do, do you get what I'm saying? One of the best books in the Bible is the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is in prison. And yet he's the most thankful in that book. Why? Because God didn't call us to protect him. He called us to portray him. And we can be thankful in God's kingdom. No matter what is going on in the kingdom around us. Do you get what I'm saying? So please, let's look at this. And and just to give you a recap of last week. 
True thankfulness grows in us with correct kingdom context. Just knowing what kingdom we're in and what we're a part of is so important when we look at being thankful. Secondly, true thankfulness grows in us because Jesus came. The fact that he comes into our life and came to this world and wants to come into our world around us at this time, right now, is huge. This is why he said, it's better that I go away. You ever wondered that as a kid? I'm like, no, it's not. Stick around. We could play, we could play, you know, hacky sack together, right? But he says, yeah, maybe with just you, but if I go away, I could play hacky sack with the world for Jesus. You get it? For the, the, that was a horrible analogy, but I apologize. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Jesus wants to play hacky sack with you? I didn't get that, Chris. But the point is, I mean, now that he's away, he sends his spirit, and now we can go out and reach people. And yes, you can reach people even playing hacky sack. It works. All right. <laughs> Lastly, true thankfulness grows in us because Jesus calls us. And yes, he's called you. No matter who you are, he's called you. Rich, poor, black, white, male, female, growing bald, somewhat bald, doesn't matter. God's called you. And some of the worst things we can do is go, well, maybe tomorrow. Because today I don't have everything. Oh no, you have everything in Christ. We have everything in Christ. And that's why I want to hope, I want to set out to you, if you're sick, if you're in need, let us know. That's what we're here for. We're doing Thanksgiving baskets. I'm so excited about that. Why? Because we can help you. We want to help you. It's our privilege as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord to give to you what you are lacking. There was a saying in the old church about 300 years from beginning when Jesus died and then you had the church in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and you had all these things. There was a saying for a couple hundred years that if you were a Christian and your brother or sister was a Christian and they had an empty cupboard and you had a full cupboard, then something was wrong. And I, I, I believe that. I want to have a full cupboard. Why? Because I want to give it away. I want to give it to you. I want to give it to those that are in need in the, in, 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 in the kingdom of God, as well as outside the kingdom. Does that make sense? All right, I'm sorry. I'm preaching. That's what I do. So let me shut up and let's pray. All right? Lord, thank you so much for just being a God that humbled yourself and came as you did so as to be with us and calling us. Thank you for revealing your kingdom to us so that we might be a part of it and we can be called brother and sister in your kingdom. Lord, we want true thankfulness. We want to understand what it means to live our life in light of your kingdom. We know what it means to live in light of this kingdom in our world around us. It's, it's thrusted upon us every day. We see it when we turn on the news. We hear it on the radio. But Lord, you have a way. We have your truth. And we want your life through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us now as we look towards your kingdom and what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand with me now. as we, We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're finally in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we, we, I, I kind of did an old curveball at you. I said, we're doing Sermon on the Mount. And then I, then I gave you Matthew chapter 4. And you're like, wait! That's okay. It works out. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, you may be seated. Um... Now, you're going to get used to this because we're going to be reading this passage for probably a good couple months. <laughs> so now's the time to memorize it. How about that? You ever thought about that? I stink at memorization. <laughs> okay? I absolutely stink at memorization. I am no good at it. That's why I did improv when I was, when I was an actor. Because I didn't have to have lines. I could just make them up. I was really good at that. Making up stuff is great for me, right? But memorizing what they wanted me to do. And I was a director's worst nightmare. Because they'd be like, that's not what is on there. I'd say, but I made it better. You know, it's like, I made it, it's different. It flows now. No, stick to the script. (laughs) So this is, this is good because I think it'll give us a chance to really memorize something that's super important. And this is, this is some good stuff here. And so I hope you get this. But three main things that I want to talk to you about that's in the Beatitudes as well as in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is super important because these are kind of the bookends. Okay, the bookends that fit the Sermon on the Mount, that, that, that put it into perspective, right? So, so to speak, if we were to look out and we were to see the forest before each and an individual tree. And sometimes we have a tendency to look at the tree and not the whole picture. You get what I'm saying? And so we need to see the forest before the trees, okay? Or the mountains before that little path that we're looking at going, oh no, right? So, this is what's important. I just want to point this out. There's three things. If you're taking notes, I think these are some good things that put this into perspective here. The Beatitudes are declarations of what all Christians are to be comparable to. Now, if you're, again, if you're taking notes, it's comparable, or you could say to be compared to. Either way, it works out. But religion has always had a tendency to say, no, no, these certain people embody that, but not these others. See, see, religion has a tendency to say, you can attain this, and one day you might be this. Some of you never will, because you're just not good enough. And Jesus pointed that out very much so throughout his whole ministry, especially as he was talking with the, the, you know, the religious elites. But just looking at the fact of how he picked his disciples was pretty impressive when you think about it. Because, like I've said before, if you were to be a disciple of a rabbi, especially a good rabbi, such as Paul was to Gamaliel, Okay, the Apostle Paul, when he was known as Saul, he was considered like to be in line to be one of the best rabbis coming up. Right? How he did it was he had to memorize all of the Old Testament, all of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of, 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 well, first the five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Then he had to memorize all the song and psalms and then all the minor prophets and all the major prophets, but that's not all. So you got how many pages there of the whole Old Testament memorized? Uh-huh. Then every commentary... Every commentary on that, you needed to know or be able to quote to it. So every rabbi in the last thousands of years that has written on that Old Testament, you needed to be able to reference to in your mind. You get this? Then you needed to also really just be with it. You needed to be smart. Oh yeah, and you had to be born of a certain lineage. You couldn't just be some guy from Syria that was really with it. You had to be from Judea or you had to be, you get what I'm saying? There were so many things that you needed to be before you could be this. And Jesus, in the Beatitudes, says, if you are a Christian, 
It's like he's saying everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Awesome. Awesome, right? Because I don't know about you, but I don't walk around saying I am Saint Chris. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It, 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 it's got a ring to it. And if you want to call me that, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't, I wouldn't, you know, be nice. But. No, but, but seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, come on. It's, it's not something that we look at, but the truth is that that's what Paul spends most of his time saying. You are more than conquerors. Peter, you're aliens here, right? Strangers in this land. Because your home is here where you are princes and princesses of the king. Saints. I love it. And Jesus states this clearly in the Beatitudes. Secondly, the Beatitudes are declarations of what characteristics all Christians are to display. You see, you're supposed to be able to go, and like a good example is if I'm, again, I'm back in the store, uh, waiting in line for that person who's talking with the checker for an ungodly amount of time, and I'm sitting there going, you know, come on, I gotta get going, you know, because I never do that. I'm not impatient or anything. Um, <laughs> my wife is gonna laugh at that one. Um, and you're sitting there and you, you, you're able to look around. You should be able to spot the characteristics of the kingdom on people as they interact. You see, I should be able to go to a school and look at people long enough and say, Oh, that person's a Christian. Because they're living kingdom characteristics. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's not something we think about. It's something we live out. And this is what he's saying. This is what it looks like. I love that because I'm not really a... You, you know what? Tell me all you want. We played a new game last night. Settlers of Catan. Um, great game. Love Settlers of Catan. But we got the expansion pack. Oh. It's like taking Settlers of Catan to the 26th power. Right? It's like Settlers of Catan on crack. Sorry. But it's true. Okay? It's like if you... Well, if you, I don't know. Say you're a mayor of Vancouver or something. Anyway. So, point, point being, right? Sorry, low blow. <laughs> okay. So, so it's, 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 and my wife, I mean, she, I'm not kidding. We're sitting there for an hour and a half as she's reading the manual. An hour and a half. Okay. I'm already on Facebook. I'm playing solitaire. I'm done. I can't, I, I'm done. Let's just play it because I need to see it. I need to see it. Right. And that's the beauty of what we have in God's word. That's the beauty and the brilliance of Jesus Christ as he shows us. And he says, now, yo, you go and do likewise. These are the characteristics. Third, the Beatitudes are declarations of what all Christians ah, can't display naturally. We, see, let me just say this. After saying those first two, which are very positive, this looks like a negative. But let me explain something. If I were to say, okay, everybody afterwards, we're going to have a little secret party. We're going to go outside. We're all going to think really hard and then defy gravity. <laughs> You'd look at me like I was a nut. Right? You have fun with that, Pastor Chris. St. Christopher, you have fun with that. Right? No, it ain't going to happen. We're not going to defy gravity. Now, with an aid, such as an airplane, right? Or thrusters or a jet pack on the back of my car or something, right? Maybe we could, maybe we could defy gravity for a little bit. But the truth is, you can't just do that. And that's what the, the Sermon on the Mount has perplexed a lot of people. Because we should read it. We should look at it. We should be opening up and go, how... Ever in all of God's green earth can anybody do this? Exactly. You can't. I love the summation at the end of chapter 5 when he says, Now, you go and be perfect as God is perfect. It's like, what? Jesus, you just slapped me in the ever-loving face. How could you say that? 
Now some of you, we'll talk later, but you might want to try this and just say, so as you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table, I feel that my level of perfection has now become complete. (laughs) Tell me how perfect I am, loving family. After the laughter, they're probably going to throw something at you as as they should. But but the point is, we can't attain this on our own. But that's the beauty of Christianity. That's the beauty of the wounded healer whose stripes he gladly took and the pain he gladly took and the sacrifice he gladly gave so that we might be free. So that we might now live. He died so we can live. Right? And he says, I give you my spirit. This is what's so awesome about the the Old Testament. When you look at the Old Testament, you have the Holy Spirit coming over people. And on top of people and resting on them and like Samson and all these great things, right? Or when the Holy Spirit helped Moses as he raised his hands and the Dead Sea parted, but the Holy Spirit never came in to anyone. And that's what the power of the cross did for you and me, is allowed us to have the counselor. Amen? And these beatitudes are no longer unattainable. Are something that we can't just look at and say, well, okay, let's, I can't do this. But through God, I can do anything. Amen? So I love this, and this is what is so great about it. Um, now, by the way, Paul illuminates this, and, and if you're curious, you know, in the book of Corinthians, when he says, we are now new creations, and he goes through the whole list and litany of those things, actually in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, and in John 3, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, how do I attain this kingdom? How do I live this way? Nicodemus might have been already heard the Sermon on the Mount. And he might have been talking with Jesus. How do I get that? And he says, not unless you're born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I go back in my mom and dad's womb or my mom's womb? How do I do that? You know, and he says, no, you're a teacher. You should get this. You can't do anything. It's God. Making sense? Okay, good, good. So, that being said, that being said, um, let, let's look at the first tree, okay? The first tree of this forest. Now, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what we're talking about today is the poor in spirit. And, and this really does make sense with thankfulness. And I hope that when you're sitting before your families th- th- soon or, or maybe you're just going to hang out with friends or whatever it is, you can share the thankfulness of the kingdom with them. Because there is someone there, guaranteed, that is thankless, that is struggling. And this isn't something you hit over the head with. (laughs) Jesus didn't do that. He he didn't hit anybody on the head. He got up on a cross. So I hope you guys get this. This is something to be thankful for. Um, So first of all, Jesus is talking to the masses here. And, And in the midst of all of this diverse people, he states this, which is pretty amazing. And I love the way Dallas Willard puts this in his book, Divine Conspiracy. A great book if you really want to um, blow your gourd. Uh, read that book. It's, it's phenomenal. But he says this, Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Now this is the understanding of the Greek here. I love this. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Did you get that? Blessed are the ones who have no inkling or ounce of understanding of God. It's almost like you've got to be, oh wait, what did Jesus say? Like a little child. Oh, okay. The spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. I love that. 
It's like you can't get anything but you plus God. And it's all God equals everything. Do you get what I'm saying? I love that. So, this is, this is groundbreaking. And now let, let's say this. True thankfulness, if you're taking notes, is given by God, not attained by us. It's given by God, not attained by us. Now, again, as I talked about before, the religious elites were, you know, you had to be born in the right place, born of the right family, born in the right religion, do the right things, know the right people, go to the right church, don't hang with those people. You know, you, you, what is it? You, you, you don't... Um, you don't uh, smoke or drink or go out with girls that do, right? Something to that effect. That was the old saying that my grandma and grandpa would say to me. So you don't, don't hang out with those people. Don't do those things or watch those shows or movies. Don't listen to that type of music only to the Christian radio. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? You see, it's almost like what we do is we try to, we get here to this place and then we go, okay, well, how do I keep it? Yeah, good luck with that. You can't attain it. You can't attain it. You see, it's not like we go, sit down, God. I got this. (laughs) It's like he says, sit down. I got this. This is why I love the pictures of, for those who wait upon the Lord, as it talks about in the book of Isaiah, they will mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait upon the Lord. See, this is very antithetical. This is very anticlimactic to our way of living. Because we want to read a book, we want to get the right talk, we want to do the right thing, and then what do I do now? How many times do I pray? How many times do I read the Bible? How many old ladies do I have to walk across the street? Do you you get what I'm saying? And it's like Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, none of that. None of that. That doesn't do it. I'm here to do it. And I want to go through you, not by you. I love it. This is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. This hanging out, doing all this stuff. Poor in spirit is not something we can attain. It is just who we are. Now, this is a good way to understand this is when I was younger, my kids, my, my, my girls here, two of them are sitting up front. Uh, I have three girls, and I had three girls in 18 months. So we had a lot of estrogen at one time just come right into our home, and it was like, whoa, geez. Um, it was craziness. I had to go outside and like split wood or something, you know, get, shake that estrogen off. So what was crazy was I just remember they would get, it was back when DVDs and there was no Netflix, you know, there wasn't all that stuff. So we would get these tapes, a lot of videotapes. Do you guys remember videotapes? Yeah, yeah, crazy, huh? Um, I, I remember, remember the battle between Betamax and VH. Anyway, so, um, I, so here we got some of the, some of the other Betamax. What is that? Sounds like a pill. Does it make me sleep? Um, you know, so here, here we have, you know, here they are getting all these videos and movies. And I remember what little girl wouldn't want to watch Barbie, right? Barbie was a big thing. And so Barbie came out and Barbie's like, help me save the forest and all these crazy things, right? But I remember this time when we were, I was watching it with him, because that's what a good dad does, you know, and I didn't have my phone to escape to solitaire while I was watching and holding them, right? So here I was watching this with him, and Barbie, there was this challenge, and Barbie couldn't know if she can do it. And, and I don't know if it was the sugar plum fairy or whoever else, I don't know who it was, said, said Barbie, just look into your heart and do what's in there. And, and, oh, and she comes to herself and says, I've looked inside and I can overcome. And she didn't read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> let, me, 
This is, this is, this is totally different than what you're gonna hear anywhere else because what we're saying people is to, to people today, look into your heart. And by the way, this is a major issue at most major campuses where they have apologetics and people say, like, you should attain this and you should live this and then they stand up and they say, why? And they can't answer why. Well, because you oughta. Why should I oughta? They can't answer it because there's no absolute truth. There's no reason I should or shouldn't. If I want to grab your purse and look inside, it's in my heart. I can do what I want. Do you see the problem? And we live this way. We preach this way. And yet when the ultimate of that way comes out, such as school shootings and people doing what they want, which is in their heart, then we have issues and problems. And then we look to God and say, why God? And he said, hey, don't blame me. You're looking in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> I already told you that was in your heart. Because the heart is desperately wicked, as it says in the Bible. And see, I, if I'm honest with myself, there are many times when I'm on the freeway and someone cuts me off and what's in my heart is murder. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's murder. <laughs> or when my kid puts pine cones in my gas tank. Murder. But that's what my heart says. And thank the Lord I have an absolute truth outside of me and outside of humanity. Because a hundred years ago, people were saying, if you're this color, you're my slave. And 500 years before that, if oh, I need to take my firstborn and kill them? You see what I'm saying? If humanity is what is said by the populace and the culture and everything in between, then God forbid what's going to happen next. Because honestly, if, if, if morality is what the majority says, I fear for that. And what Jesus is saying is saying, no, there's a kingdom. There's a truth outside of all this. And guess what? It's unattainable. But I'm making a way. God wants to give it to you. That's awesome. That's like seeing the dream in front of you and going like this. Going, I got nothing. And God says, I'll write the check. Amen. To me, that makes sense. And never at any time do we say, okay, God, can I pay you back now? No, you got. You don't have enough money. You have enough. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough time. Now imagine a Barbie with a beatitude-filled spirit <laughs> that says, "Don't look in your heart, Barbie. It's cruel, wicked, and black." <laughs> I always think of that, but sorry, that's my own depraved thing. You have this nasty heart, Barbie, and she's like, "Oh dear," you know. <laughs> But the truth is, she, we don't, you're bankrupt. That's what blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They just realize, it's not in here. I can't do it. I don't have enough. I am spiritually bankrupt. It's a recognition. There's nothing you can do. You can't attain it. This is thankfulness, by the way. Second part of true thankfulness is given by God when we are authentic. I love this. When we're authentic, poor in spirit also means an emptying. This is an interesting thing. It's like if I had a cup of water here and it was full, I can't put any more water in it. All the water goes away. But if my cup is empty, I can be filled. That's the idea of poor in spirit. It's an emptying. It's almost like what Jesus did for us. The great kenosis in Philippians chapter 2. He came as nothing, empty, so he could be filled by God. To not only be our sacrifice, but be our Savior and show us the way. Awesome. Awesome. Now, a perfect example of this, by the way, this being authentic. 
for the Lord is Isaiah. If you guys look at Isaiah chapter 6, here you have a prophet, a man of God, someone who was looked at in the community as, wow, that's the religious elite, right? The guy that everybody would look to and say, Isaiah's the bomb. Isaiah's the, the cream of the crop. And Isaiah has this amazing thing in chapter 6 where he's taken before the Lord, seated, and he sees the Lord sit, sitting, right? At the sound of the, the, uh, their voices in chapter 6, verse 4. Let me just read this. The doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. You see this. He's just up there in front of the Lord in all his glory, and you have angels and seraphims and cherubim, and they're, they're flying around singing holy, 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 which is the Hebrew equivalent of perfection. Three holies means it's perfect. It's perfect because they didn't have the adjective. So they had to say it three times to get the point across, right? And so here we have this and he says to this and he says, wow, I'm getting to see all this. Awesome. You go, God. I'm your man. No, that's not what happens. <laughs> you can almost see him falling down on his knees and he says, woe to me. The understanding of that is I have been ripped apart completely from soul to flesh. I am completely undone. I have been decimated by an atomic bomb. He says, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean people. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you get it? Here's a man of God. He's just being authentic. He's a stinker. Just like me. Flash forward, you have Jesus and he's calling out his people, right? He's calling out his disciples. And he says, he's walking by and he, he comes by these uh, fishermen, right? Comes by these fishermen, one of them is Peter. And he says, and he says, hey, you guys caught anything? You know, no, we haven't caught anything. Why don't you go back out there? Why don't you go back out there and go cast out those nets? Because, you know, Jesus being a carpenter or a mason, really in the understanding, working with, because with, uh, they didn't have a lot of trees in Judea, if you guys know the history. They don't have trees. They really don't. It's more of rock work, okay? So he, you know, so here he is working, you know, and you could see this salty fisherman who just came in from before it was morning, was out there all night with all the other boats, working it and caught nothing. And anybody who's a fisherman and someone says, why don't you go back out and try again? <laughs> like, you know what, why don't you, you know, you know, it's like you could just tell him he's probably upset. He's like, man, we haven't caught anything. And that's how they live. And when you've got Rome taking nine out of ten fishes, and you've only got one fish, you really need that one fish to feed your family. And we know that Simon is married, and he probably has kids at this time. And he's just like, are you kidding me? All right, because you said so, I'm going to go out there. And he goes, and he, you know, and all of a sudden, they catch the biggest catch they've ever caught in their life. It's ripping. He's got to call his buddies in. They've got to get, because there's so many fish that it's literally sinking the boat. And Peter turns around and says, awesome, you're the man. I can't wait to, oh man, could I give you a hug? No, he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He falls down on his knees and says, get away from me. Get away from me. Because I am poor in spirit. Right? But that's being authentic. You see, he recognizes, just like Isaiah, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. It was God. I couldn't attain this. And when I'm authentic and living truly, there's nothing I can give. Nothing I can do. You did it, not me. You, you get what I'm saying? The truth is, there is no one in the kingdom of heaven that is not poor in spirit. Not looking at themselves saying, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm bankrupt. I can't do it without God. Are you being authentic? 
Now, this is all fine and good unless we look at this application aspect. And to do that, I want to point to the biggest coward in the Old Testament. You know who he was? Gideon. You guys know Gideon and the story of Gideon? He was the biggest coward of all time. When God came to him in the book of Judges, I believe it's chapter 8, um, or chapter 6, 6 through 8, he, he comes to Gideon and Gideon is in the wine press. Now wine presses were down below real deep and, and he's threshing wheat in the wine press like this, just hunched over because he's afraid of the Midianites who've come in and taken everything and done all this bad stuff. And he's afraid, so what's he doing? Well, I've got to thresh the wheat and to thresh wheat, you've got to throw it up in the air as the wind blows it away. So you can almost see him, he's kind of doing this, you know. He's, just, he's, he's a big coward and he's a farmer and he's a nobody. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, he's a nobody. And the Lord greets him and he says... Hail, mighty warrior. <laughs> it's so funny. Most ironic words ever. Here's this mighty warrior in a wine press. He's a, you know, he's a farmer. He's nothing. And God says, I've picked you to take care of the Midianites and free my people. Gideon cracks me up. For the next whole chapter, he's constantly testing God, constantly saying, God, are you really saying? Are you really saying? Because I don't know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, he's such a weakling. But you know what? I'm a coward. I'm a weakling. I don't know about you. (laughs) And I'm constantly testing God. Because when it comes down to it, I'm always trying to attain it on my own. I'm not that authentic. And here we have Gideon. What a picture. And God says, I'm going to use you anyway. And then we know from the story in Judges chapter 6, great story if you want to read it. He, he takes Gideon. Gideon raises all these men, tons of men, like 20, 30, 40,000 men. I mean, tons of men, right? And he goes down and God says, ah, too much. Gideon's like, you know there's 100,000 Midianites camped on the other side. Yeah, you got too much. So he whittles down these guys. Eventually, Gideon has 300 men against 100,000 men. How do you like them odds? <laughs> And God says something very telling. He says, I want Israel. I want my people to know that it was the Lord their God, the one that loves them, cares for them, has saved them. Not you, Gideon. Because I, I, Gideon, we all know who you really are. Right? It's like he says that to me too. Chris, we know who you really are. You're my son and I love you, but you can't do this. And you're all coming to something where you honestly, true thankfulness comes to that where we go, I can't do this. But that's okay. Because God can. And I'm going to stop relying on myself. I can't attain it. But God can. We see that in Gideon. And believe me, there's nothing like telling you who you are when you're faced against 100,000 men and there's only 300 of you. And some of you are facing giants, facing things, facing big stuff that you can't deal with. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's economic issues. Maybe it's relational issues. You name it, it's huge. It's daunting. And it's so easy to be thankless, isn't it? And Gideon is being authentic. Especially as he says, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And he goes to battle. 300 men against 100,000. And guess what? The Lord wins. It's amazing. It's like God's in control or something, right? It's, it's like there's a plan. And all of a sudden he wins and all this crazy stuff. And Gideon is on like cloud nine, you know, and all the people come to him. And, and I wish, we'll get there. But if, if I could just say something really quick when it comes to um, 
thankfulness is this is the last part of thankfulness and I wish we could end it with that and say hey Gideon you know it's all good and everything but true thankfulness requires our daily attention and that's the last part it really does require our daily attention because again we're always trying to attain it on our own on ourselves we 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 stop relying on God sometimes and we say no I can do this I can go to work without God I can go to school without God I can I can turn on the computer without God I can open the refrigerator without God I can you see what I'm saying and we try to attain it on our own and we lose it best litmus test for our spiritual thankfulness is if we're feeling thankless. Again, I said that last week and it, it happened with Gideon. See, we fast forward with Gideon in chapter 8 and it's a crazy because we can see a man who is so nothing and used by God and totally embodying the thankfulness that it is to, to know you can't attain it and we're being authentic. But then he forgets to give attention. And in Judges chapter 8, it's, it's, a, it's one of the saddest things because you see Gideon, right? And, and it says... All the people come to Gideon, basically, and, they, and they're like, you did it. You did it. See, the Israelites, in verse 22 of Judges chapter 8, says the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandsons, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Do, do you see that? Do they say God at all? They don't mention God at all. You did it, not God. It's so easy to be thankless when you take the place of God in your life. I I love what Gideon does here. He says, but Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. So he starts out well, right? The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request though, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. Now it was the custom of the Ishmaelites or those people around that they, they all wore gold earrings. And the bigger the gold earring, the more powerful they were. And so for him to say, hey, everybody just give me one earring is not a small thing. That's a big thing. That means he's going to literally have a pile of gold. A pile of gold. So he doesn't want to be king, but he wants to live like a king. You get it? Because I did a lot of hard work, baby. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, okay. God helped. But I went out there and I did. You see what I'm saying? They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them a few threw a ring from the plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels. That's a lot of shekels. No, not counting the ornaments, the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod which he placed in Ophrah, that's not Oprah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his family as most people do with Oprah. Now, this is the point. Not Oprah. Sorry. I'm a human person at heart, so you have to, I have to apologize for that. But there's only, by the way, he makes an ephod, all right? An ephod, there's only one ephod in all of Israel. And you know who has the ephod? The high priest. The high priest of God who's been chosen by God to talk for God and to deliver what God... And guess what? He says, oh, but that's all the way down there. What if I just make the ephod? Now I not only have as much gold as a king, I can now be a king and represent and have the, you know, the ephod and then people don't have to go to see way down there to go visit the tabernacle. They can just come to my house. And when they come to my house, they can give me and people will know that I am in charge. You get it? He's forgetting everything that God has done. Let me do it my way. And by the way, it's so interesting because his last son that he has, you know what he names him? Abilamech. You know what Abilamech means in the, in the language? My dad is the king. <laughs> oh, no. 
It literally means, my dad is the king. So Gideon, who said he wouldn't want to be a king, took all the money to be the king. Took all the praise to be the king. And even named his children, his progeny, as he is the king. Sad tale. But can I just say, that's my life sometimes. I can come to church. I can live my way. I can do my thing. But guess what? There's a point to where I get to and I say, I got this, God. I got this. Are you trying to attain it on your own? See, my thing right now is, God, if I just sell this house. I just want to sell my house, God. I mean, I'm literally cleaning my bedroom up going, if I put kind of easygoing music on in here, maybe people will walk in and be like, hey, I could live here. See, I'm trying to do it. My wife's like, I'm going to bake cookies. I'm like, do it, because that'll smell good, and maybe people will buy our house. (laughs) You see, we try to do all these different things, because maybe I can get it, and and if I sell it, then I'll be thankful, because that's the logic train. And then I realize, oh, wait, there's a lot of people that sell their house, and they're not thankful. Or if I just lost this weight... Oh, yes, because I've never met any skinny, thankless people. If I just had more money, oh, because rich people are so happy. You get where I'm going? You're never going to get there, people. It's like grasping the wind. You can never attain it. You need to just be given it by God. Gideon thought he could do it all himself in the end because he stopped paying attention. Where are you at? Do me a favor. Let's let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. We're going to get the worship team up here and play a song, but I went a little over and I apologize. I get, I get winded and, well, as the old preacher used to say, I would have been shorter, but I got lazy in my sermon preparation. So, <laughs> it's a little pastor joke. That's why it's not funny. But do me a favor. Close your eyes because seriously, this is something to think about. Honestly, Where in your life are you not thankful? Where in your life are you feeling thankless? Because I guarantee you, you need to give attention to that. You need to recognize that you can't gain it, you can't get it. You you can only be given it by God. Authentically speaking, where are you at? Really? Have you gotten to... Gideon's place where you can't even walk through the front door because your head is so big? I've been there. I've been there. Don't play that game. As Paul stated, I've learned to be content and thankful in all situations. That's the concept of that content, is thankful. I've learned to be content in all situations whether rich or poor, with food, without food, honestly, that's kingdom living. Are you poor in spirit? Because believe me, it's not something you can get. It's only something that can be given by God. You just are. Recognize it. Live that out in the real world that needs to see that. No more Barbie living, okay? Can we just be honest and say the truth ain't inside of me? (laughs) I wish it was, but I have long yet to find it. God, I need it from you.
And I want to be able to say, the Lord did it. The Lord has done it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, I just bless my brothers and sisters. I need this. I'm reminded of it every time I live my life. Every time I step out of bed, I'm trying to get it. And I never succeed. Oh, sure, I might get something temporary, but in the end all be all, if it's not given by you, it's just straw, stubble, and hay. And the wind comes and it blows it all away. Father, you're so good. And you didn't come to rub our face in how not we are. (laughs) How not good we are. But you came to say, I love you. No matter who you are. And no matter what you've done. And I want you. I want you. If we're not thankful for that, then we're dead. Lord, I just bless my brothers and sisters. And I ask that they would... You know, if they need you, they would come up and they would talk to one of us and they would say, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. This is a place of prayer. This is a place of hope. This is a place to connect with you and to connect with others. And we want to do that as your mission, as your family. Thank you. Help us. And may you give the strength and the courage to those that need to step out now to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.